Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kim Sardif. Kim originally started off as a computer technician in the Canadian Armed Forces. He he progressed to a junior sysadmin. And then he moved on to the uh, National Security Forces as a team lead and an analyst. He was then on the counter-insurgency as a team analyst within the Canadian Armed Forces. Once he made his step into the commercial world, uh, he moved to CGI, where he was again an IT consultant and quickly progressed to a managed endpoint security analyst. Kim then moved on to uh, Infidum. He started off there as an information security consultant. That role comprised of looking at various things with access management, uh, Azure ADs. He then moved on to a cybersecurity specialist specializing in offensive security, pen testing, malicious actor simulation, and social engineering. And where Kim is today, he's the practice lead of offensive security. Kim, how you doing, my friend? Not bad. Good. How is your introduction about right? Did I get it about right? Pretty much everything <laughs> was there, yes. <laughs> good, good. I'll start where I always like to start is if you can, I know I've done you a bit of an intro. I never think I can do it quite as well as you. If you can tell us who you are and, and what you've been up to over the years and perhaps what you get up to now on a day-to-day basis within the in the wonderful world of offensive security. Sure thing. First off, offensive security always been my passion since a young age. I always been curious about learning how to do that stuff. Sadly for me, at the beginning, it got me into trouble. And that's a bit why I actually joined the armed force. I needed that discipline and learn what to do and when to do it. And they got actually uh, a good grasp on me to teach me that kind of skill. So after a few years in the uh, intelligence services where it was nice because I was able to see some side that no civilian could have seen at that time and learn what real information looked like and what deep metadata of cylinder tower and really deep technology that I was able to explore. So when I left the armed forces and my civilian career, the, the the part that was really great is I knew already what would come in the future years. So I could actually just start dig deeper and deeper into that knowledge. And now I'm almost at the point where I left technological-wise in the Army. I, I was also tired of trying to fix everything for the enterprise out there. And I wanted the, to be the one who breaks stuff and tell people how to fix it. <laughs> Very good, mate. Tired of fixing it, wanted to, to break it. Kim, you mentioned there you, you got into trouble potentially because of your hacking. Is that something we can talk about or is that a no-go area? Or... I have nothing to hide anyway. When people start hacking at a young age, and even in the 90s, I'm going to probably tell my age here, but in the 90s, like, your parents didn't know what the internet was. They, they were barely knowledgeful enough to start the computer in the morning. Having a kid that is really interested in 
that subject, were able to dismantle the whole computer and reassemble it without any kind of courses, university classes, was something of itself. And when your dad learned at that time that you could actually forge credit card or actually do other people's system, what can they do other than give you a slap on the wrist and say, don't do that because you're going to get yourself in trouble. And I did. Well, they did not know what they saw on my screen or what I was doing. So I actually learned the hard way. Nowadays, there's enough information to know better. And you can even hack some system, real enterprise, and they're going to pay you for it. There's tons of bug bounties, learning platform are there nowadays to to actually insert that curiosity that you have inside you when you're young, that you just want to learn and prove yourself and try stuff. There is stuff out there that you could do it in a legal way and still have a career at the end. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Kim, were you going to say something else? Sorry, my friend. It, it was in the past. One entry point into InfoSec was to have get into prison and you're going to get a career. Nowadays, it's far from being that. You get into a prison, you don't have a career or you need to be a really good consultant to, to be able yeah. to pull it yeah. off. Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's funny, Kim, there's a... Um... There's a chat. I won't name. I won't name him on air. But there's a chat. He, he a chap coming on the podcast soon. He's offensive security, and he got a letter from AOL basically banning him from AOL at the time, saying you're never coming. <laughs> you are oh. never to come anywhere near us again. <laughs> like I said, in the past, it was an entry point in, yeah, in the career. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay, my friend. So we've had some really interesting conversations around around red teaming i know especially within the offensive security world if people are doing web app and stuff like that they're always striving towards red teaming sometimes can i worry that people don't really know the realities of what red teaming is like it would be nice to hear it'd be nice to hear just more about your views on red teaming good points bad points and get the lowdown from you really sure thing web application is only quite a subset i feel that most people start in a web application and move towards binary exploitation and pen testing. But after that, it's it does require for you an, a big investment into researching the tool you're using and how they react on the network. I had some people that thought it would be easy or they, they thought they were ready after a year or two of doing pen testing and said, oh, I have enough knowledge. Okay, we'll do it. Now, I need you to repeat the same stuff you did as a pen tester on an infrastructure without making any noise. I don't know how to modify my tools. That sucks because this is one thing that you need to control. You need to create your own tool. You need to know exactly what they do on the network. And this is a deeper knowledge that not everybody has and need to acquire. They need to have that curiosity or willingness to try create their own stuff and dig deeper mm. so, of course yeah so Kim, i was just going to say the time thing if i'm a pen tester now listening really wanting to get into red team how much how long do i need to have been a pen tester for and how much time what's the timelines on, on getting really good at red teaming would you say on average 
it does depend on, on what that person would focus and in what team they would go in. I saw a, a few enterprise where red teamer were alone. So they need to be jack of all trade. They need to need bit, uh, know a bit about web exploitation, about infrastructure exploitation. They need to know uh, their way around. They need to know social engineering, sometimes physical uh, pen tests as well, because you're a one-man show at that point. But there's other team. I know on our side, I like to do to run it as real red team. So it does include that team aspect. Like I'm a specialist in physical security. I have some colleagues that are way far better than me in a shorter period of time in web application, but they still can assist into a red team. And mm-hmm. there are some others that are really good at malware uh, writing and binary exploitation than me. But pulling all those aspects together make a real great teams to attack and simulate threat actor out there. So I say stop doing a generic and focus on one field. One field that is really high in demand is to really know tools, programmation, and binary exploitation or malware creation. Like if you can handle a C2 and memory evasion, this is one of the greatest skills that you need to handle to be a basic red teamer. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Kim. For everyone listening, I hope people and people if people are listening in the gym and stuff like that, great. But I really hope people are taking notes. I'm going to I'm going to summarise. So basically, so binary exploitation. Uh, you you don't want to go too widespread. You want to niche down within a niche within red teaming. Uh, ideally, get really good at tools. Get really good at binary exploit uh, exploitation. Memory evasion. Was there one more thing as well, Kim? You said. I, I think that's pretty much it. Mostly C2, command and control. So yeah. all that infecting a system, being able to bypass the AV and the EDR and be able to get to be persistent into those network that you're attacking. Yeah, brilliant. Also as well, you mentioned about tools. What, if I'm listening now, maybe I'm a really experienced red teamer, Maybe I'm three, four years into web app uh, pen testing uh, and I'm new to red teaming, but, but for anyone getting in new expert, what, what, what kind of top, what are the must have tools or maybe your favorite, favorite three tools within uh, for a red teamer? The favorite tools, I love C2s, like command and control framework of all kinds. I think if you get a good grasp of C2 matrix and try as many as possible, at the end, they're pretty much all the same, okay. using different kind of technique to evade AV and EDR out there. I'm a cool. big fan of. And I think you're going to say, I'm going to ask you about being stealthy. I think you're going to say to customize the tools. Have you got any tips for, for, well, for improving your stealthiness, if that's the right word? Any anything for staying more under the, the radar that you can give us? The thing that I've realized, like, like I said, one of my favorite is Brute Rattle, and this is a Ooh, commercial. Hello, everyone. The joys of uh, post-COVID modern-day podcasting from home. Me and Kim have had a few technical issues, been chatting off air about it, but we're back up and running. I know you probably lost your stride there, a bit of momentum, Kim. So essentially, uh, what I said was we were just talking about staying stealthy, staying under the radar for red teamers, and any red teamers that are listening now, what tips and hints have you got for uh, sliding past AVs, EDRs, and staying stealthy? Yeah, uh 
like I was going to say, one of my favorite C2 out there right now might be actually Brute Rattle, which has been developed by Paranoid Needs, a ninja. And he put a lot of trade craft into evasion every week. Um, for sure, it's not available to everybody because he tried as much as possible to do a screen up on who's going to get his license. He doesn't want to have this fall into the wrong hand. But as part of evading EDR and antivirus, he almost got it natively on his release. After that, I believe that every kind of retamer need to know how to inject their stuff into memory and try to obfuscate a few elements. I had that great talk of Red Siege about their technique using Jargon, which pretty much use entropy, uh, reduce their entropy level to, to bypass because people tend to obfuscate with AAS and certificate, which make the same pattern over and over again, and you are able to detect that. But using dictionary word to do the mapping help bypass that all the way. So just keep yourself up to date with like latest way to inject into memory and bypass EDR, like assisting at conf and reading blogs will keep you ahead of the wave to beat that kind of element. That is why I, I always recommend enterprise to not focus on signature de detection, but like techniques and procedure mm -hmm. instead of, of ashes. Cool. So brute rattle. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, by the way. You've just given me some inspiration for my LinkedIn post tonight. So I've been looking for a really good technical post. So I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. That's interesting about the license then. So the producer he's being really careful on who can and can't access it. Then is that what he had issue in the past? Where in the, the, the few first uh, release, some people actually took his binary and his C2 and exposed him on the public internet, either for reversing, so the EDR has that as a reverse tool, or did some threat actor add their end on that old release. So nowadays, he actually added several security and procedure to avoid uh, that kind of stuff. And he always said that if this gets released in the wild, he will put the Sigma rules and Yara rules uh, to be able to detect a C2. It will probably evade that again in the next release, but mm. still, if mm. there's a leak, he, he doesn't want threat actor to be using his tools. Okay. Interesting. This is a responsible way to do things. Yeah, yeah. Did you just say, did you say Red Siege a, a moment ago? You were looking at something yes. from Red Yeah, yeah. I know Tim's been on the, Tim, the founder, has been on the podcast. So I know him and I had a conversation with him a few weeks ago. He's a, he's a, he's a nice guy. What impresses you about what Tim and the guys over there are doing at the minute then? It's it's called Jargon. It's a way to obfuscate a shell code. Something that really interested, it was interesting, it was that it took something simple and applied it to a complex matter to totally baffle the EDR out there. So they took dictionary word, word or from a DLL and they took that, mapped it into an array Let's say that you have your first word. It's going to be byte x01 for the shellcode port. And after that, you have 256 combination. So you have 256 word. And if in the code, they see that word, they know that it should be that byte uh, as a shellcode. But the EDR for him is only seeing word going by. 
and mm-hmm. you can you cannot actually blacklist or take signature on those words because if you do, well, people will have issue in their uh, software, and it could even be worse. Take a kernel DLL, will it, it's used by most of the stuff out there. Take the word in that DLL and put it as your malware dictionary. You cannot have a signature on that. You're going to screw everything on the other system. And yes, this does make your payload quite heavy. But nowadays, bandwidth is not an issue. Memory is not an issue as well. Even if it's bigger, this is not an issue. It's an issue on the EDR side. Because if they start processing big file, they crash. They need to be fast. And sometimes just having a big file, what they discovered is that you're going to bypass the EDR out there because it's going to say, hey, I have an SLA to meet. I cannot take you analyze all your 300 megabytes of, of binary. Mm-hmm. I'm limited to 10 megabytes. So I'm going to exclude you from my scan. Mm-hmm. And you just evade that way. So this was a simple approach for a complex solution mm-hmm. that baffled many and many vendors out there. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I'm gonna I'm gonna message Tim on LinkedIn and tell him I'm hearing good things from you. That's nice too. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he'll be really pleased. So sure, and connect me to him. I'll be happy to talk with him. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. He's, a, he's listen. He's a he's a he's a lovely chap. He's a, he's very nice, very very down to earth, very modest. He does a thing called I don't know if you've seen it. Have you ever seen Offensive Wednesdays? He does. He yes. does yeah. So he does that every Wednesday, which is a pretty pretty cool event for anyone listening. Definitely worth worth checking it out. Okay, cool. So Kim, we've got brute. We've got brute rattle. Tim and the guys at Red Siege, we've got Jargon. And also as well, I just wanted to, to mention something. You, you, we talk, if I'm a red teamer and I can't code or I haven't got a dev background, is that going to be too much of, a, of an issue? If I haven't got a dev background, have you got any tips for me? Obviously, when it comes to changing editing tools and various things, I can imagine it being a bit of a disadvantage. But what, what's your thoughts there? First off, start coding. Hacker <laughs> from origin is good programmer, but uh, I'm not a programmer from background. Um, there will be some limitation in what you will be able to develop, or at least the speed you're going to uh, catch up on some stuff. You're going to be blocked on probably malware obfuscation and creation for sure. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have other skills that some might not have in the dev world. If you focus more on networking, you're going to probably be able to pivot and do your reversal way better than dev that has focused his career on some other Mm. stuff. Mm. And like I said, I'm no dev, but my specialty is physical security. So Mm. bypassing lock and doors and social engineering and being on site is my specialty. So Mm. you can still have your specialty, be a redeemer and make a great red teamer or do a great job is just that if you're alone doing that red team stuff it might be more difficult depending on the context yeah i love your answer there by the way start coding because it's because it's true kim i was working on this big with this big blockchain security company in new york and it was a very cool opportunity i won't name the company i'll, I'll tell you about it another time but basically everyone had to be able to do heavy code review in Rust, languages like that. And because people were so excited about it, I was sometimes I was engaging people saying now, and they were joining like a year later. It was that the process was that long. But when people were so excited about this company, 
they were going from nothing to here in like the space of six months, three months, 12 months. It's amazing what you can do if you if you put your mind to it. And I think these days as well, there's, yes, there's a time element, but there's so many resources online these days for getting good at coding. And if I mention Rust again, I'm sure you're aware that ransomware in Vegas, that was all written in Rust. It's like there's, there's always something new to learn and there's always so many resources out there for it. But yeah, I like that. Start to... Start coding. It brings me on to my next question quite nicely. And I think a lot of people will love the fact that this is your opinion. When we were prepping for this the other weeks, this show now, you said to me when you're hiring a pen tester, you'd always you'd always rather someone with a solution attitude. You'd rather always rather have them maybe less experienced, maybe they haven't got the certifications, but if they've got that kind of that kind of mindset, you'd hire them all day long. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. A bit like I said, when we were talking, one way that we were thinking about doing our interview is to have that kind of VM so they can log in with CTF challenge to see their thought process. So yes, solving the CTF challenge might require the deep knowledge sometime and really outside thinking. But this, the, the flag are not what we're looking for. What we're really looking for is we broke some tools on that VM. And are you able to fix yourself out of that trouble? Like your tool is not working during an engagement. Are you able to find alternative solution? Are you able to see in the script what is not working uh, by the error message that you're going to receive? Are you able to say, okay, the tool is not working on my machine. Probably it's going to work on a Docker solution. Let's pull a, a container and try to run it in that way. Like, are you able to make your search and find alternative solution because at the end, exploitation, it's easy because once it work, you're going to get in. It has been proven. It's proof of concept for a reason, but making it work, it's the hard part. There's a lot of junior members waiting to get the answer. And I always tell them, do your research. I don't know everything because yeah, I might have had an error. Uh, on that tool as well. It might not be the same as you. So you need to start uh, troubleshooting your way through. Mm -hmm. And this is an attitude that even if you're a senior member and you cannot troubleshoot your own tool because you were lucky enough to have an enterprise that does everything for you before your engagement, you will not be a great red teamer out there. But even if you're not the perfect red teamer, if you're able to make your own tool troubleshoot and uh, move forward, you're going to finish the line, arrive at the finish line before every else because you can troubleshoot your stuff. Yeah, definitely. I'm just thinking about this from like from a commercial operational perspective as well. Like I know from stuff we do internally in our agency, as you scale, your time becomes scarcer and scarcer. Things get watered down. If everyone's working remotely and you're scaling, if you've got a group of 10, 20, 30 people that can all think on their feet, sort themselves out, look after themselves, as a leader, as an owner, as a manager, it will make your life, as I'm sure you're working, 10 times easier if you've got a load of guys or girls that can think for themselves. So I think for anyone listening, I think to refine and get into this way of thinking, it makes you. It will just make naturally make you much more employable, won't it? Oh, definitely. The manager don't want to be able to supervise you like for the next two or three years. You need to be competent enough that it's going to teach you the trade craft that is required to do the job, to evolve and point you where you need to study or where you need to perform or evolve into. 
but it cannot actually spend the time to show you the basis. The basis is now recorded on thousands of platforms. There's courses about Linux and about basic programming. Mm -hmm. And most managers will not require to know like deep Rust or deep programming language, really complex and machine learning and everything. We're not at that level. Just learn some C and Python basic stuff, do a hello word, a calculator. And at that point, you're going to have enough knowledge to pretty much read any kind of language out there because they're almost all the same. Some syntax will differ and some tiny details will change from one language to another. But the way it is written and the logic will almost be the same everywhere. Mm. I'm not talking about assembly here, but like most of the the high level programming language will be that way. Yeah, I think if you look at something like Python as well, the amount of uses and the amount of time, the the, the pace that people could pick that language up, and even just like the, the you know, the, if, even if you look at what a Python developer gets paid, like just Python devs on their own, they get they get paid quite good money. It's, it's a good skill to have. But yeah, okay, so cool. So really been able to think on your feet, and and Kim, this brings us quite nicely onto the next piece, which is the communication piece. Again, I know we've spoke about this off off air. What are your thoughts on communication? How important is it to you? And how can I improve my communication? You have the, the, the written communication and language skill there. And it does depend of when you want to focus. Everybody needs to be able to write at least in one language properly. Even if I'm French, surprisingly, my first la- writing language is in English because it, go- it flows way better. So I know that I can produce quality reporting from my handwritten in English. It might not be as much in French, but we do have quality insurance and we can help each other with your peer to, to correct that. As for language, you need to be able to summarize your idea to a level that executive will understand. Mm-hmm. Because you can be the best pen tester out there or the best red teamer out there. If you go into an executive meeting and you're not able to explain the CIO why it is dangerous or how did you proceed with that attack in a simple manner so that 10 years old can understand, they paid for nothing at the end. They really want to understand what you did. And if they don't understand this, they're not going to fix it. So they just put that money into a garbage can and it will be the same result. Definitely. And, and on that point, Kim, I know when I first started recruiting, when I was dealing with, sometimes I'm dealing with founders, today I'm dealing with founders and CTOs and like yourself that are really senior in, in offensive security roles or security roles. And I used to write pages and pages of what's going on and stuff about. And in the end, I realized that really senior people just want you to get to the point, use as few words as possible and, exp- and st- while still explaining it. So that's my tip, just get to the point and don't don't use words unnecessarily. And I, there's another aspect as well for communication, the RL part that is quite important for Red Teamer. You're going to need to do social engineering at one point, either by call, in person, or in writing in an email. So you need to have that skill set developed and be able to specialize a bit in that. Not liking it. I hate going and doing small talk with people, but I need to practice making small talk because this is the winner in social engineering. Mm. You need to make people laugh. You need to be agreeable. So this is a, a skill that you still need to develop. 
And even if you don't like it, you can still put it out on your pocket for raise or other kind of benefits on yourself. <laughs> Sometimes you have an argu argument at home, you can try to use your techniques. It, it can help. But yeah, you need to develop that communication skill for sure. What do you think about this? This was mentioned on the podcast. What about putting in, it's a bit of an abstract, unorthodox idea, but what do you think about having an ex example of an exec, exec summary you've done redacted on a resume? Do you think that would be a, a cool idea? Probably in an annex. I would prefer personally that you do something on a github or on a personal page and on a resume because that resume people tend to pass probably 10 seconds and i'm quite generous out there and they will not read it and will probably like dilute the the, the right content from your resume but having a github nowadays or a portfolio of your project either your code project your capability of writing a report you're like yes executive summary is good but are you able to go into the technical part of it just take something think about what is the description of the vulnerability the impact the recommendation you would give write something and document for every cve that you see that's going out right now because every two thursday there's going to be a cve because microsoft is patching on a tuesday so take what's in the news just make a small analysis on how you would fix that. What is the recommendation? Try to explain it like you would at a 10 years old level, and it's going to be great. And if a, a director of like me see that, oh, this guy know how to write his stuff because he had no coaching, no senior level, and he has a good basic. So I know I can turn him into something great because he's able to get technical and still get high level. Definitely. And you know what as well, in my experience from the recruitment side of things, it gets feedback quicker. It gets you interviews when people are really busy. I, I, I had one came in. It was a client, again, a client in New York. They were really busy. There was I knew there was a lot of attention on the role. And we we had a video of the candidate I was representing. And we basically included his resume and an actual video of him hacking in a simulated environment. And it just got the response straight away from the client. He got the interview and he actually did get the, he actually did get the role. So I think it can make a difference in the pace you get hired as well. On, on the resume, when a resume, what's the perfect, when a resume hits your inbox, I don't necessarily mean in terms of certifications or experience, but what do you actually like to see in front of you apart from kind of GitHub repos and stuff like that? what you're able to do. I don't care about your title. There's people writing titles now that you can actually attain in a Cracker Jack box. What I want to see is what you did into that field because it is not because you were a red teamer into a position. Sometimes people tend to put red teamer and you only do web application tests. This is not red team. What I want to see is, have you done malware obfuscation? Have you done pen tests on a network? What tool have you used? Are you able to do a kickoff uh, with the client? Are you able to uh, go and do a presentation to client at the end? Are you able to do scoping uh, on an engagement? This is skill that we need to be aware of. And you can even put a level of uh, comfort into that kind of field. So if you're just starting out, let's say, doing scoping, put it out there. At least I know that you touched it. If you're really comfortable at doing pivoting and pen testing on network, put it there. Because if 
I'm looking at your at your resume and I need to choose between two person that are similar or even like one has ton of a certificate but hasn't get experience on the field and you don't have anything but I know that you're going to be autonomous and be able to deal with the client from A to Z without my supervision or minimal supervision I'm going to probably go with you because you do have the experience the other will ask a lot of questions and I will need to supervise him way more and if I have time sure maybe the guys with a certificate will be probably interesting but like we often don't have time I'm going to probably want to go with you because yes I'm going to train you later on because right now we're busy we have a need that need to be met mm. Mm. Yeah, no, cool. Thank you, mate. Kim, just I just want to just jump back a bit. You you've basically mentioned I, I think two really valuable things for the listeners. You've mentioned jargon, what what Tim and the guys at Red Seed are doing, which I'll certainly be checking out this evening after we get get off this podcast. And you mentioned brute rattle. Is there anything else like that that you've come across lately in the realms of red teaming? They're two really interesting things. And the reason I ask is when I speak to a lot of especially people at the more senior end of the market, they're really struggling to come across, apart from like Portsmouth Web Academy, Hat the Box, Try Hat they're struggling to come across like really different things. Is that don't worry if you haven't, but have you got anything else that's a little bit different like that for the listeners maybe? We always struggle no matter what we use as tools. Because Blue Team evolved, Blue Team block our, our tools and get denied. And there's no one solution out of the box to upscale payload and be able to bypass anything. So other than coding your own injector so that you don't have to worry about the tools you're using, there's nothing really exceptional out there. One tool that I would tend to recommend as well is Bloodhound. For sure, you might not be able to use it in a red team environment because it's gonna probably get flagged and it's quite noisy. But go into the help manual on their GitHub and read all their pages in the help section. Why? Because there are tons of information how to use Active Directory and other environment to pivot in a, into a system. And they're like often undetectable. Uh, unless they put like really specific way out there. Somebody that do a get user and that do his own reconnaissance, their own system does that. So it's hard to block and detect on that if you're mm-hmm like not eager to escape the whole network but if you take your time you're gonna you're gonna pass a lot of detection mm-hmm. and yeah sometimes bladan will not work on the network but you can still do the same command manually and it will and you can reconstitute the file and see that old picture on how to pivot and where to go on the network after that so this would be probably the, the tools that save tons of headache to pen testers because before that, you, you are going on the whiteboard and, oh, I discovered this and this is connected to that. Mm-hmm. And now you just put that into a JSON and it does map it for you and tell you, oh, if you go there, I saw somebody logged there a while ago and you can probably pivot there and in two or three machines, you're going to be dumb and admin. Oh, thanks, bud. I can go and <laughs> just try to hack it. It saves yeah. a lot of time. Yeah, so basically, Bloodhound's amazing. Just make sure you really... No, it's how amazing it is. It's full capabilities. And mm. even the blue team are out there. There, There is a blue team that we recommend putting blood down into their network and just rugging, running it regularly. 
Just, you see a path, go fix it. Your next pen test, it's going to be a nightmare. Mm, mm, mm. Cool. Thank you, my friend. Um, we've talked a bit about report writing. Um, any tips for anyone just generally for refining report writing, getting better? Is there anything you do as an organization to improve and make sure your reports are, are, are what your end clients want? Pretty much is not working at all. There's a ton of solutions out there like PlexTrack and Drake and everything. It costs a lot though, so people tend to avoid them. I, I understand that. One solution that has no excuse of being avoid is Ghostwriter. Download it. It's a containerized solution that deploy quite easily on your machine, on the cloud machine, any way you want, and start collaborating with your teammates to put vulnerability there. Because once everybody pitch in, it's painful. Everybody hates writing reports, but if everybody pitch in, you just have some drag and drop bugs that it's easy to make your report. All your teammates will speak the same word so if you explain it away, your, your teammate will not be worse than you. You're going to all have the perfect word saying to the client. And clients appreciate that. And you can have that mm. template that is reusable, pen test and after pen test. And if some client said, oh, I would like to see that, this would be a great improvement. And you judge that it will benefit most of your client. You just apply that to your template. And for all future template, it's going to be improved. So mm. the quality just get up and up and never down. Mm. Mm. Very good. Mate, you're giving us loads of little. So I'm just going to recap for the, for the listeners because you're giving us loads of, of great information here. So the brute rattle, jargon from, from, from Red Siege. We've talked about always having your, your Git repo up to date on your, on, your, on your resume. When you're looking at your resume, how should it be formatted? Essentially, you just want to see what they're able to do, not too interested in job titles more. What can you actually do? Bloodhound, make sure you read the manual on GitHub. And Ghostwriter is really going to be uh, massively helpful when it comes for uh, improving your report writing. Yeah, Ghostwriter, we were at like 35, 36 hours when we start using, like before using Ghostwriter for report writing. And once you start doing your document, everything and putting stuff in their, their library, now it's maybe what, six to eight hours of report writing for 100 pages pen test because Everything has already been written. You just need to rewrite a few parts to adjust to your client. But let's say that you have an XSS. The impact for an XSS will pretty much be the same all the way around. The recommendation will pretty much be the same for any kind of XSS out there because it's sanitization at the end. What will change is probably the description. Like, how did you find it? Yeah, sure, that this part is customizable. But all the stuff, you don't want to rewrite it every time. Yeah, because yeah. you're prone to error, you're prone to forgetting things. Not only that, does the end client want to see it rewritten every single time? That's probably where they, they start switching off. So uh, I've got a really, and I imagine a lot of people listening, but for anyone that doesn't understand what Ghostwriter is, can you just explain it for the listeners, Kim, like at a high level overview? I would say it's a database of vulnerability that you can write and manage that will be full of template 
that can be imported into a master template. So you have that Word document that will structure the whole thing from A to Z. And you have all those block of vulnerability that you have a template on that. And just drag and drop, and it's going to be imported. Every time the same look and style will be applied, so you don't have to format anything. Or you just drag and drop, make your change into the interface, mm -hmm. click generate, and you're going to have full professional report in no time. Brilliant. Mate, that's, a, that, that's is it free. Is it all free? It, it is. Yeah, it, brilliant. It's the even better. Even better. <laughs> yes. You've given us loads on report writing. Any other little final tips maybe for the listeners on the, when it comes to reporting? Always remember to be clear. At the end of the day, your client is paying for um, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15,000, don't know, whatever the, the amount of paper is worth more than you think. Because they don't pay you to do the pen test. They pay you f to write that report. The pen test is only that you're mean to collect information to write that report. You can be domain admin and have the greatest pen test ever. If you cannot write that report, you haven't delivered what the clients want. Mm -hmm. So you need to be clear. You need to be concise. Take your time so that your grandma can read your report and understand what's going on. Probably not the technical part, but the executive summary. Your grandma should be able to understand it. Mm. And cool. after that, the technical part, it should make sense as well. Try mm. to give as much recommendation to your client because if they haven't fixed something into their environment, it's probably because they don't understand it and don't know how to fix it. So it's your job to help your client do something. The amount of time you've saved with, with Ghostwriter, that is, that's massive. Really, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it is. Really good. Like I said, jack of all trade cannot do everything. Mm -hmm. So I have a colleague of mine that is dedicated to a blue team and has a lot of knowledge into like fixing stuff on, on Windows and AD and the environment in general. And it, they help us actually improve our recommendation to go further and give more uh, accurate details on how to fix stuff and what could be impacted by, by those recommendations. Because this is a strong suit. For me, I understand what is the impact and how this can be exploited. So I can do that part. But working together can increase a lot of the professional listen of your report. Cool. Really good, that, Kim. Thank you, man. That was massively helpful. I know we were talking about this a little bit before we came on. Book, podcast that's had the most positive effect on your offensive or security career in general so far? Darknet di Diary is always fun. <laughs> I think it's the most known out there. Other than that, any kind of technical podcast. Sadly, it's time that I'm missing. I'm more of a book guy, even if I don't read a lot. If you start out there, the Hacker Playbook or any kind of starch, no starch press book are amazing. Um, they have great details and great methodology, it's a good way to start. Mm. And mm. after that, just pick a book of your interest and keep reading. Mm. That Darknet Diaries, whenever those words get, everyone loves that. And I, I did a post and I just, I put the image of them and it just got so much traction. Not low, but it got quite a bit of traction that like everybody loves. Uh, oh everyone yeah. Does, everyone loves it. <laughs> I was listening to a few before physical intrusion tests and I had, when he was talking, I had the same feeling when I was there doing my thing. And, <laughs> oh, this is exactly it. Oh. Mm. 
Kim, if you like, as I know you do, if you like the physical stuff, if you go back to the second or third episode I ever did, there's a company called Occamsec. The founder's called Mark Stanford, and he is all over it when it comes to physical stuff. And he tells loads of stories about team members getting arrested and hiding behind trains and producing fake ID lines and all sorts of just stories that would probably seem very normal to you but just sounded crazy to me but i actually think you, you, you'll really enjoy that 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 episode it's like the, the, the second one we ever did it's really good it could be always the same story that people tells <laughs> about but it, they are always fun to hear so yeah. i will definitely have a have a look mm. at it yeah definitely definitely i think just another thing i think mentors are massively important i think we all need to be acutely aware of who we're modeling ourselves on have you got any advice on how to get a mentor, any stories or useful things you can tell us about various mentors you've had over the years? We're lucky enough to have a great community nowadays. So if you want a mentor, just get out there, ask, and people will try to help you. I feel that now when, you know that old saying that it takes a whole village to raise a kid, it's pretty much that into the pen testing field because it has evolved a lot. It takes a community to train a good pen tester or red teamer at the end. Mm-hmm. And the community is out there. The thing that I see that is a bit sad, though, is that people go and ask for advice and don't apply that advice by, I don't know, missing like motivation or think they're going to never get through. Mm-hmm. It is a steep learning skill to, to be able to be a red teamer. You cannot be a red teamer in two or three weeks. It's going to probably take you a year or two of efforts. You're going to probably need to pass by a sysadmin or a SOC analyst and probably a web pen tester before getting into the red teaming field. It is normal. You need that experience to be able to be knowledgeable enough on enterprise. Keep asking questions. And if people tell you, have you done what I've told you? Please make sure that you've done before asking other questions. Yeah. Take the advice and do what they say. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a really good point about the community because I think I've said this before and there's nothing wrong with, say, industries like finance, but I've got a lot of friends that work in finance and I know that the stuff like we're doing now, the stuff that happens on LinkedIn and the GitHub, it, that, that isn't normal in, in other industries. I do think... The cybersecurity community is a little bit different and a little bit special. So we should all uh, appreciate it. And especially when you're working remotely, it just makes you feel so involved and it just feels so, I just think it's so good. Never mind the career progression bit. It's just that that community spirit. It's just, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, people tend to want to share. Mm. It's a bit weird because everybody said, oh, hacking is quite illegal and it's quite dangerous. You don't want to exchange that trade craft to anybody. No, we're proud to being able to actually get around the laws and get around the rules to mm-hmm. exploit something. And we want to share that with other people to be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. it. It's not because we broke something that we're proud of. It's because we're helping, moving, and securing things along. Because threat actor and malicious with mal- people with malicious intents will find it. So if we are able to find it and expose it, This is one door less that they can take. So Mm. if you want to learn how to do that stuff, like I said, there's a ton of free resources out there put by good people. 
and they're available to you to, to train. There is no excuse nowadays to not be knowledgeable into a field if you really want to. Cool. Last question from me, Kim. I know we've been on this pod for a while now. Leadership, any advice? Look, I know what it's like first firsthand if you're training people more juniors. It can be, even if they're trying, it can be quite frustrating stuff that perhaps you found simple or I find simple. You're trying to explain to a junior person to do. I know in the recruitment world, new people come in and it's it's... <laughs> It's, it can be quite difficult, to say the least. Have you got any leadership tips or tips for training new members of the team or anything now that you wish you'd known two or three years ago that could help the people listening? Something I believe that leaders need to keep in mind is that your junior member don't know what they don't know. This is a weird sentence that I need to explain a lot, but when you enter a field, at one point, you're going to think, or your junior member is going to think, I've been doing pen tests for a year or two. I'm quite comfortable. Things, things go like quite smoothly. I'm ready for anything. Don't worry. Put them to the test. Sometime, like when you have a kid, they're running around. And you can tell them, no matter the number of times, don't run around. You're going to get hurt one day. And they, they're not going to listen. And the junior member will do the same thing. Oh, I know everything. I'm good to go. Give him a hard pen test. Give him something to get into a wall. Get ready to raise him up and help him out. But at least at that point, he's going to know what he needs to improve and progress further. Mm. Like people tend to think at one point that they know everything. And after a while, when you get intermediate and senior, it tends to smooth out because you realize uh, that there's so much information out there. There's so much skill to, uh, to be acquired. And you even start to get the imposter syndrome at one point because you see all those stars uh, running around and you said, damn, I'm going to be able to get up there. It, it's hard stuff. Mm -hmm. And you need to realize that they are probably specialized into that one specific field. Mm -hmm. Yes, they know everything into that field. Mm -hmm but they cannot do anything else or do like very little in other fields. So it, it's just that, it just you need to discover stuff. Even me, I was looking at OT, like exploitation the other day and realized, oh, I'm so like not an expert into that kind of feeling. I'm passionate now because I can dig even deeper into that and learn more, but I will not be more proficient than an engineer that has been in that field for 20 years. Yeah. He has 20 years of experience. How can I be that at, at his level? But I had some junior that had their hard time on a pen test. And now every time I'm asking him, are you ready for another one? Oh, I need to get into that subject a bit more. I can do shadow, but now they're more relaxed and no what you need to learn before going in. This is going to save you a lot of trouble with client as well because there are nothing more dangerous than a junior thinking that he knows how to do stuff mm -hmm. and at the end blowing up everything or creating a mess on the network environment. Yeah, they need supervision. You need to be flexible with them and give them the proper like knowledge to, to be raised. And uh, one last thing. 
would be stop expecting Junior to have 20 years of experience and stuff. Junior don't have 20 years of experience. They're junior for that reason. We need, we keep complaining. People keep complaining about, oh, there's nobody in our industry ready to work. It is not true. There's a ton of people ready to work. They just don't know the trade. We need mm. to teach them. Mm. What mm. you're missing is intermediate and senior. But you can raise them to that level if you take the times. Just stop and take a two, like one or two junior, attach them to your intermediate, and they're going to be ready in a year or two. Mm. Don't mm. treat them like crap, and mm. you're going to be able to keep them on your side. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mate, there's a ton of people itching to work at the junior level. Like, there's so many, especially in offensive. Oh, like, there's a lot. If the, the only way that you can probably enter at junior level is try to be as much autonomous on at least one field as possible. Everybody talks about Triacne and Web, uh, Web, uh, Portswigger Web Academy. It's not dumb because if you're able to do all the Web Academy stuff and you do a few bug bounty, if I have a lot of Web application requests, I know that I can probably put you there and be autonomous on one mandate. I, mean, I can pull a bit of money to rentable, like for your value. So if I take a junior that doesn't know anything about anything, it is quite expensive to train. Showing that you can do CTF, act the box and stuff like that help immensely into that field to be able yeah. to gain entry. Yeah, I think if they can do something, because I think it's the opportunity cost of you coming off a test as well. And if your billable hours as a senior or a, or the owner or the director or the leader are quite obviously quite high, it's, it becomes really expensive. But would that, I, I, I was going to ask you that, Kim, and I never did. Any advice for, for juniors breaking in? But I think that's a good one. Get really good in one particular area where you can be self-sufficient and make yourself stand out. Is that, that, what, you, is that what you do? Yeah, this is one thing that I did. Out there, the principal way of getting in the field is knowing web application pen testing. Mm. This is really high in demand, and it's the basic of most pen testing company. And after that, you're going to be able to expand depending on how you want to be. The second thing would be get out there, be into the different kind of conferences, talk with people, connect during CTF, even if you're alone. Often they have those big CTF and if you register along, they're going to place you into another team. Mm. Don't worry. This is great. Even if you're really bad, mm. worst case scenario, you're going to connect with other people. Mm. Professional CTF player often have their team full anyway. So you're gonna not going to be like a weight to their ankle. You're just going to meet other teams that are there to have fun and probably actually get you some good contacts and they might even yeah. be hiring. One of my junior members is a guy that I met at a conference. He was looking for an internship. And I said, hey, you did the CTF? Yes. You, how did you like it? Oh, I, it went quite well. I, I had a few flags. Okay, are you interested in malware engineering? Yes. Great. I'm having you even if you don't have any certification. or Because I know he, he knows his way around. Yeah, yeah. And he knows web, he knows a small stuff. So it was easier for me to get him to level that I can put him on a contract or mm. on a mandate. 
Yeah. What you've just said there, it will be great for your technical skills, great for building your network and great for your communication skills. So you, you, you really tick in some big markers there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, Kim, is there anything I haven't asked you that, that, that I should have asked you, my friend? I'm sorry about the inter- mid-interruption. You, when you started talking about the technical test with something that was wrong in the VM, I thought, oh, maybe you did that microphone thing on <laughs> to me on purpose to see what I, how I'd react. <laughs> no, sadly not. Sadly not. And that's a security feature. And once you get paranoid, everything gets blocks everywhere, and it does qu- cause some trouble sometimes. <laughs> All right, my friend Kim. Really nice to see you. I'm gonna I'm gonna say bye now, Kim. But stay. I'll edit this bit out. Stay on the line. So I just need to let the transcript mm-hmm. load and stuff. But Kim, thanks for your time, mate. Really helpful. You've given us lots of really good insights there for me and the listeners. And also, you've named some good resources, some good things that are going online. What we'll do is we'll put everything in the show notes. And Kim, if people want to reach out to you and ask you for any tips or advice is it kind of through Definitely. LinkedIn and stuff, is that okay? Definitely, if you're looking for a mentor out there or just want to know where to start, feel free to to ping me on LinkedIn. I will be more than happy to help you out. Brilliant. Thank you, my friend. I'll see you soon. And thanks again for your time. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Cheers, mate.